Hey, Matt, are you thirsty? Not especially. Should I be? For the sake of this, I am thirsty. Well, I don't know about you, but I could go for some Diet NIMBY. (laughs) 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 Oh, I remember this conversation. Listeners, you're probably wondering, uh, is this Mars on Life? Technically it is. Uh, if anything, this is episode one of a spinoff series that uh, Matt and I are working on uh, called Diet NIMBY. And uh, I guess if anything, to really, in some ways, sort of kick the entire reason why we're doing this off. Uh, Matt, what is Diet NIMBY all about? So, for those of you who don't know, NIMBY is an acronym that means not in my backyard. And it's something that, it's a term that you could use to describe a lot of the folks who live in Santa Clarita who are like, culture, life, people less fortunate than myself, people with melanin, oh no, not in my backyard. So, the reason why it's called diet nimby is because we are going to be i'm not sure how i talked us into this corner ryan but we are going to be reviewing two episodes at a time at least the first season of the and i hesitate to call it this but the smash hit i'm giving you way too much credit but the the netflix show santa clarita diet which almost inexplicably, because I know there is an explanation to it, almost inexplicably, is based on our hometown. Uh, this is a show that, when it first premiered, I obviously was aware of it. It was something that I had heard plenty of people in the Santa Clarita Valley post online about and comment, and naturally, in the very beginning, some of the comments ranged from Oh, this is just going to be it's just going to be liberal Hollywood talking about our quaint little town. Uh, Other people thought this is great because this is going to, quote unquote, finally put Santa Clarita on the map. Not like the Santa Clarita (laughs) Valley isn't already famous or infamous. I mean, I can Google map Santa Clarita right now. It's not that hard. There is history here, and there are yeah. things that have made it, especially in recent years, hell, recent decades, that have made have, this place. Yeah, we have our own goddamn like museum that's part of the 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 Los Angeles County family of natural history museums. Like it's it's not like we're yeah. unknown. We have fucking Six Flags. We have Cal Arts. We um, have a mall. We <laughs> well, and on top of that, we have westerns were filmed in Newhall, for one thing. I know. Off we the have top of the Western that, Walk of Fame. 
I, I honestly had already forgotten about that. And we were just there uh, like a mo- like almost two months ago. And obviously, even outside of Santa Clarita's more cultural aesthetic in terms of, you know, the Old West and, and things like that, you do have the actual history that affects people on a material level, whether it's been wildfires causing people to evacuate, something which, you know, listeners were recording this before October. So we just dealt with a wildfire up in Castaic, which was our first major wildfire of the year. I know someone who had to be back. Oh, geez, that's scary. Yeah, and and when I say first major wildfire wildfire of the year, I basically mean a wildfire that got out of control, resulted in evacuations, kept getting bigger. It, It took a day just for a sliver of containment. So, and then outside of that, you've got the typical things that you and I have been talking about pretty much since probably the day we met each other, which is the political angle. If people want a good encapsulation of that, I mean, it's difficult to say outside of, you know, we, we've talked on Mars on Life long before Matt joined the show. I mean, we've talked about Bob Keller, the infamous uh, former city council member who once referred to himself as a proud racist. And we've also, I think, talked about the infamous SB 54 city council meeting, which I would argue was less populated by Santa Clarita residents and more people that follow. I don't want to say follow the Trump movement, but people who are adamant over cities in California acquiescing to the wishes of Donald Trump. It was people who were so nimby that they couldn't even have it in someone else's backyard. Not not in your backyard. (laughs) Yeah. Obviously, too, to really kind of get to the heart of even why cover this show at all for reasons that listeners should know of by now, you and I grew up out here. Yeah. Respectively. Yep. So uh, I guess you could it's briefly talk a little bit about as of, as of the, the day we're recording, I've lived here 20 years. So give or take excluding some time in, at, in, in college, but growing, I'll, I'll actually, I'll let you talk about this because I know this is something that, I know you've talked about on several episodes of Mars on Life proper about just I don't want to call it the aesthetics of growing up out here, but what the experience is like growing up out here and what a young person learns and accumulates about the area as they grow up and mature into adulthood and realize escape is the best solution. It's interesting because I'm not like, at least for me, like my experience is a little bit different than yours might be because i i was mm-hmm. a person of color growing up out here uh i moved here in 98 there there was santa clarita like it existed but not to the extent that it exists now like it was still a city and it had been a city long before i ever populated this earth um but it wasn't really that big like i don't think as many people really knew about it or, or cared about it like a lot of things out here were still under development under construction there wasn't the urban sprawl that you see out here today there wasn't the uh the congestion that you see driving around town at any god-given hour anymore like it was still very much the i guess the small town feeling that santa clarita pretends it still has and and prides itself over i mean i i was always aware of it but i didn't ever i never really like hit me that i looked different than everybody else because i'm brown 
Um, yes, that like as time went on, like there became a sizable Filipino population out here. There became a sizable Korean population out here, and there are a lot of Latino folks out here as well. But that built up over time, really, as people, as the city started to develop, and people were looking or were coming into more money, and were looking to get away from the city life and the urban life, and looking for a place that's close enough to LA that you can drive. But you can get away from all of the the LA ness of LA. So like the uh, the smog and the traffic and the the homeless folks and, and the apartment buildings stacked on one on top of the other. On top of that, growing up raised by like very Catholic conservative folks out here, like on top of me just me being brown, like I didn't feel like that different because I I kind of was exposed to the same ideologies as a lot of people out here. Um, and like the time that I realized that I, I was different just by the way I looked and it, like that it it made an impact on me was that I was um, I used to be a Taekwondo instructor for a little bit. Um, and, and when I was a teenager, I was having trouble getting the kids to either listen or relate to me. And then my friend told me it's like, well, yeah, it's because you don't really look like them. So, of course, these kids are going to act like that to you. And then it hit me. It's like, oh, fuck. I am not like a lot of the people who live out here. Um, and just growing up with Santa Clarita and seeing it over the years, what it's grown to become, like, you used to never hear about it. And it used to be like, whenever you hear Santa Clarita mentioned on the news, it's like, oh, cool, they know about our town. But now it's become like Santa Clarita bar owners threaten to get rid of man selling fruit on the street. Santa Clarita police officers pull gun on child with skateboard. Um, Santa Clarita city councilman Bob Keller is a proud racist. It's shit like that where mm-hmm. you realize how shitty this place is and how homogenous places like this are never really good for anything. Like this was a fine place to grow up in because it was safe, it, like safe-ish. There's still fires and there's still insane people and stupid shit goes on out here. We have a heroin problem, or at least it did for a little bit. But, like, growing up out here, it was good because it was quiet, so I didn't have to worry about, like, some of the people I know or some of the kids I I work with at camp. I'd never had to worry about, like, I was never comforted by the fact of hearing cop cars just being part of the city. Because, like, I've talked to people who grew up away from here, and they're like, yeah, growing up here, it being so quiet, I didn't hear sirens overhead, I didn't hear, like police cars chasing anybody like it felt scary how eerie it was like i didn't have to have that feeling like the quiet and the peace was a given for me i i could just go to school do my extracurriculars do whatever and be fine but like living in your 20s like unless you want to be just surrounded by quiet homogenous folk it's a shitty place to be there's nothing to do here everything shuts down at nine o'clock um most people don't look like you if you're brown um they are there's people comfortable riding around with trump trucks and shit so Mm. um just growing up in santa clarita and looking at it from a a perspective of someone whose life has pretty much been here entirely like even when i moved away for college like i was always back here for like piano lessons or to pick up comic books and shit or just Mm -hmm. to like do my laundry um there's a huge disparity when you go to los angeles and you see like a variety of people you see life people are doing things people are living people are aren't looking at they're not not they're not being nimby they're not being like the not in my backyard like things happen here and you kind of just accept it you don't just like i I, i'm i'm rambling now but it's like 
I fucking hate this town. You're right in terms of how staggeringly different it is after you've lived a good portion of your life out here and all of a sudden you move yourself somewhere else. Like I the the parallels between how you grew up out here and how I grew up out here, the parallels only go so far. But I will say that I was I was pretty aware early on of a lot of the disparities of the city and within just how people out here treated each other and just how infectious it was to and, and not infectious on my part, but infectious on my peers and their parents where the kids that I went to school with out here, they weren't their own selves. They weren't their own people. They were very much emulating their parents in more ways than one. And part of that was personality. Part of that was they grew, these kids grew up too fast. I mean, you had kids that were already talking about serious, heavy subjects in like third grade. Mm -hmm. And here I am, the kid who's only lived in Santa Clarita for a year, and I'm already at my second school. And the reason for that was because uh, the elementary school that I, I ended up going to most of the time I was here was built after I was done with second grade. So we moved out here. I went to uh, one particular elementary school. After that first year at that elementary school, I went to one that was basically down the street from where I live. And and I, to some degree, I had some of the same kids, mostly different kids. And being somebody who, you know, loved all the dorky things that listeners know I love, be it dinosaurs, history, Star Wars, you name it. Um, it didn't bode well for me growing up out here when you have kids that are already, you know, listening to rap and, you know, trying to act like they're adults and be cool. Oh, my and, fucking God. And the thing is, is like all the typical, all the typical high school cliques that you see that you would see in like films and TV from that time period was already happening as early as like yeah. third and fourth grade. And so it really impacted how I viewed my peers. And as time went on, you could tell further and further that these were kids that were really, really affected by their parents. And it was, wasn't just a matter of these kids were becoming like their parents, their parents weren't treating their kids like they were their kids. The parents were treating their kids like they were their new best friends. And, mm -hmm. you know, somebody, somebody that down the line they could have a beer with basically. And, you know, it, it led to this kind of quirk amongst the parents that I always found very odd every time. And this extended all the way up until I graduated high school, where there was always this quirkiness to these parents that I don't see. I, don't get me wrong. My parents can be quirky, but it was a brand of quirkiness that I virtually never saw with either my close friends, parents or my parents. And it always it, it bordered on what I would call the berserk. And what I mean by the berserk is typically it leaned toward a certain sociopolitical attitude that bordered on 21st century nimbyism of, you know, everybody's my neighbor, but you know, you step out of line and you got, you got, you have young, young women telling their friends, Hey, you better be careful. My daddy's got a shotgun. And you're like, Whoa, I, all I did was make a Doctor Who joke. Like, you know, it would be the most insane things. 
that would all of a sudden turn into a bigger regional issue that at that point in my life I had no clue about. Uh huh. And so hearing rampant racism from young children at you know at a young age and you know being somebody who was fascinated by uh american indian culture and history some of these kids just were i mean honestly they they were saying things that were remarkable and and not in a good way i mean it, it was one of those frightening things where it just you grow up fast because everyone around you is already already sounding like somebody who lives in 2022 frankly well, except Ryan, it's 2004 and they're not even 10 years old well Ryan, when your town is some is a place that gladly publishes the racist rants of john boston like what do you expect right i mean i i still vividly remember uh and obviously it didn't help then also being in boy scouts which is by no means uh it's it's an organization that has has definitely tried to uh, make changes in recent years, but I would argue not enough. But I still vividly remember, you know, just when I was discovering American politics and trying to understand like the new like cable news. And I remember I, I made a comment about Fox and I had somebody uh, somebody that I knew who lived out here who is as Santa Clarita as they get tell me. Oh, well, if you think Fox News is really bad, you should check out MSNBC. And at the time, you know, I, I didn't know. I didn't. I, again, I was like just getting into this stuff. So, you know, I it's. It led down a really deep, dark rabbit hole that finally culminated in obviously me going to Cal State Northridge and just how differently people are from all across SoCal compared with how they are up here. And the culture and the personality and, you know, so much more that pales in comparison to the way people behave up here. And so to finally get to Santa Clarita Diet, before we even get into any particulars, part of the reason why I I have you and I give our, our sort of spiels about our own, which I know you and I could definitely talk a hell of a lot more in terms of just the the quirks. Which we will do over the the course of this miniseries. Absolutely. Just because, believe me, I we'll, we'll get to it, but I'll, I'll just hint at it right now that within the first two to four minutes of the first episode, I thought I had overdosed on some kind of Santa Clarita hallucination. And I remember texting you about it. Yeah, you you did. And and it that was that was the 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 Nietzsche batman the animated series abyss of either you know you go into the abyss and you never come back or basically you look into it and you stare at the abyss right back and i had that kind of crossroad um and i decided to just stare at it just stare back and i didn't do what uh who was it owlman did which was blank so Uh, ryan that's a deep cut ryan yes uh i i know this this that deep cut as well uh i Batman fan, of course. Um, So before we like get into actually what Santa Clarita Diet in reality is, because I don't think we've mentioned it yet, what did you expect from the show? Like what when you were trying to figure out what what the fuck would they make a show about our town for? Like what did you think it was going to be about? And with that name, Santa Clarita Diet, based on because like I said uh, when we started, I was aware of it when it came out. I was aware that it was coming out. 
at the time that it premiered, which uh, I have the date in front of me, it, it first released on Netflix February 3rd, 2017. I avoided it like all hell. And the reason for that was because, number one, I was in college. I didn't want to be reminded of where I was going uh, right after I graduated. To me, and I, I won't try and repeat what we've talked about on Mars on Life with regards to, you know, oh, there's other stuff filmed out here like Chum Scrubber. Uh, but at least with Chum Scrubber, there was like a sense of satire in there. Santa Clarita Diet, based on everything I knew before actually watching the show, uh, you know, five and a half, whatever years later. All I knew was that it was something that at first everyone had nothing but apprehension about. And then after it premiered, it was so well received by residents out here that it actually scared me. See, that's because how you know Santa Clarita has no culture. It's because they all loved it. It's indicative of the fact that we have no culture, but we do. And the people that live out here know what the culture is. And when they see that lack of culture, that is a culture represented on screen. It's the inside joke that only people here will get. And I think this is going to be the common yeah. thread of this whole show. And I know it's something you've said, so I don't want to take credit for it. But I will say it it was on my mind when I heard the reviews. It was on my mind when I heard locals talk about it. And it's been on my mind both since before I started watching it, while I've been watching it, and right this second. Where it is the most inside baseball baseball I have ever seen for anything outside of fandom and I find it I find that very there's so many adjectives I could use repugnant terrifying uh just in I almost want to call it insidious because it's it really is just the fact that at first people out here were poo-pooing this show before it was even out, no surprise. Oh, like I said, oh, liberal Hollywood's going to make a show about Santa Clarita. They're going to get it all wrong. And then all of a sudden, people out here are like, "Well, that was a that was a a, a quirky uh, a quirky series of flicks." Oh, look, Netflix is in on the joke. To which you and I are like, "What's the joke?" <laughs> we know what the Netflix, joke is, and it's not funny. I'm trying to remember what I thought Santa Clarita diet was going to be about because I like for, for the reason why it was Santa Clarita, which is like out of all the towns in, in California, like you couldn't just make up one. You couldn't just set it in LA proper. Like it had to be Santa Clarita of all places. And the reason why is because Timothy Oliphant and um, Drew Barrymore have both said that they they've filmed so many things in Santa Clarita and they recognize mm. that Santa Clarita had never been in a town on its own and just because of their own personal history having been here for for so many of their projects that they're like why don't we just like make our setting Santa Clarita I don't know I was expecting something more like diety soccer mom kind of thing than what the show actually really is. Um, but I mean, I, I I guess it's still, that wasn't really too far off of what we actually got. Yeah, I was about it's to just, say, it, it, it still has that, that kind of soccer mom pastiche to it. Yeah. 
what we actually got, what the real plot of Santa Clarita Diet is, is it's about two realtors named <laughs> Joel and um Fuck, I just watched this like not even an hour ago. What's your name? Sheila Hammond. Yeah, jo- Joel and she- thank you. Joel and Sheila Hammond and their daughter Abby um who live in Santa Clarita and their lives turn upside down when for some unknown reason Sheila starts we'll, we'll save that for later but Sheila it turns into a zombie and now they have to navigate the wacky wild misadventures of living in suburban Santa Clarita while also having to feed people to Sheila uh point of inquiry <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel like I'm back in college uh maybe that's a good thing but uh so Drew Barrymore and her husband in the show are realtors at some point she finds out she's a zombie the emphasis on such a development has about as much of a wave of the hand uh, I don't pay attention to the particulars as somehow Palpatine has returned any revelation that she is a zombie is it just me or has it just been sort of scrubbed away and normalized it's sort of a look you're already suspending your belief that we would actually make a show about this goddamn shithole suspend it a little bit more and we'll be fine well and and believe me suspension of of disbelief is definitely something that I realized after finishing episode two, there is this sense of what's real, what isn't. And just the fact that there is so much clearly based in reality, the reality of the Santa Clarita Valley in this show, whatever isn't based in reality, and this is excluding the zombie element. It's almost as if, okay, we're going to feed into the quirky, almost made up, thinking of living out here and what i mean by that is i have met my fair share of people who live out here who really think they're the star of their own movie i don't know if you have but oh i am that person uh, oh jesus um <laughs> <laughs> right but it's, actor, god damn it how do you not know this i it's i've worked with actors and believe me that's i that's oh yeah it's this idea of i'm the star of my own movie and it's a slippery slope until you start thinking the world revolves around me. And there's an element of that to this show that I think is perfectly encapsulated. And this is actually the best segue perfectly encapsulated by the first four minutes of episode one. And obviously these episodes aren't it's going so to be insipid. again. It's this milk was toast. It's insipid. It's bland. It's, it's inoffensive. Quirky. It's inconsequential. Yeah. And it's the like kind you, of... You realize how bland these people are and how there's the, nothing going on in their lives. And then you extrapolate that to Santa Clarita mm-hmm. and you get a pretty good picture of so many of the people who live out here. They're, they're, they're inconsequential, mediocre folks who think they're so much better than everybody else. It's the kind of bland quirkiness that you get from individuals who turn around and say, I'm Wendy Williams. And you're like, no, you're not. And it starts off with 
the scene in the very, very beginning. And this and this is after Sheila and Joel wake up in bed and Joel wants some time with his wife, his private time with his wife. His wife turns him down and you can tell that she's very motivated by her job and also the stresses of being a parent and it's it's a very typical middle-aged parent kind of interaction that you would get from a tv show then it's immediately followed by the most santa clarita moment ever which is watching the two of them in the kitchen and i made sure to type drew barrymore's dialogue down uh for part of the scene <laughs> you sound like fucking you're in mock trial like, i wrote it down just just to get it right I, I hey man i i take my notes i if i gotta go back and listen word for word as if i'm transcribing an interview i'll do it yeah I, I'm, I'm just gonna i'm just gonna very quickly read it because it, 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 it is short anyway jennifer lawrence chopped off her hair again everybody hates it like that but she doesn't care she's so bold i wish i was bold am i bold no i'm not I'd like to be 20% bolder. No, more. 80%. Oh, that's too much. Meanwhile, Timothy Oliphant, who we'll, we'll get to him. We'll get to him. Because he's 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 a big part of this show that I oh, have so many emotions over. Uh, is complaining about their toaster, which we find out later on is just a complete piece of garbage. There's uh, too much slack in his knobs. It's It's just it's fallen apart and he might as well just throw it out and say it's garbage that discussion followed by the daughter abby correct yeah played by liv houston liv houston who i think for me is the only good part of the show um because i think she's the only one who gives like a convincing performance like she's the only one who knows how actual people behave also the fact that she's a very, very attractive ginger girl so i i should point out and i did not know this and i'm, I'm not trying to uh correct you but uh live houston goes by they their uh pronouns oh well i did i apologize to them <laughs> yes i i i just i just wanted to Clarify that I had no idea. Um, and apparently, yeah, I, mean, I didn't. I didn't know because back when I was watching the show, was I think really before I was really aware of the anybody in this. Like I wrote, I watched the show mostly in 2017, and I have not looked at it until this point in time. And I did not look up Liv Houston's pronouns, so I apologize to them. And Liv is from Australia, interestingly enough. Um, but anyway, the daughter Abby walks into the room. And and I, I made sure to write this word down slumps into kitchen. Uh, these three words are not four words. I'll just read the whole thing. Daughter slumps into kitchen asking to buy a car uh, in the middle of nowhere. Seriously, like that, that that discussion she has where it's like where they have. How are we just referring to Abby? Because Abby is. Eh. How do well, we do this now? And the middle of nowhere part, I, I finally I'm looking at it like, oh, it, she says it out in the middle of nowhere. So are we going with she out of nowhere for for Abby and they she them for Abby, live? Correct. OK, so yeah. when, when I don't Abby's... know if something changes later on, like I said, season one, <laughs> season one, baby. <laughs> when Abby says, like, I need a car, I, I can't live out here without a car. It's like, oh, my God. 
Like th- there are certain parts of the show that are just blisteringly accurate, and that is a blisteringly accurate criticism. Of San Clarita, you can't get anywhere here without a car. It's so spread out. It's so sprawly. Mm-hmm. Like it's nice to have open space, but you literally cannot go anywhere unless you have a, a pair of wheels or someone who's willing to drive you or you're willing to pay for the Ubers. I remember when I first started with the signal, Ryan, like I didn't have a car. I remember. Um, and so I was having to literally Uber everywhere. So I was paying more to do the job than I was getting paid by the job. Mm-hmm. Again, within those first, that first handful of minutes going from Sheila Hammond being so absorbed in her own world to Joel being so absorbed with a piece of technology that is again, falling apart to then a young adult slumping into the room, complaining about how they live in the middle of nowhere and it's hard to get anywhere without a car. That whole nuclear family discussion it, it's almost like a negative of something from like Philip Roth's novel, American Pastoral, where it's like, imagine American Pastoral, except instead of the uh, idealistic yet degrading, uh, crumbling 1960s, the crumbling has stagnated in, and it's the 2010s, where mm-hmm. everybody is so alienated and void of character in life that they're just the focus of their own world to the point where it's just, oh, I should be bold. (laughs) This toaster doesn't work. It's hard to get anywhere because I live in the middle of nowhere. Like it's, it comes off like alienation and atomization at its finest, which I know have been Mm -hmm. topics of the show at, at tremendous length. And that's because they're very relevant in this day and age. But and, and obviously we still have a lot more to talk about, but I just want to hammer this point home. This scene with a young person, an adult male and an adult woman is 1000% indicative of the people that live out here. It is so oh, yeah. representational of how people out here are pretending so hard to live their best lives possible, not live their lives, live their best what they think is their best lives in their own space, in their own sphere. They're the lead actor in their own movie. They're the main character of their own story. To use the Seinfeld term, they're the master of their domain. Irrelevant term, but still applies. One of the scenes in this show that I recognize as accurate and authentic to Santa Clarita without being played for a joke like this is like what people out here are like. It's it, again, it's inoffensive, it's milk toast, it's vapid, it's inconsequential. That's and that's just within the first 2 minutes. Then the next 2 minutes happen, and this is when we get introduced to the neighbors. Well, wait, wait no, don't skip over the tea garden bit. Because <laughs> so, I know the tea garden, I'll let you talk about okay. that because I you you've got experience with the tea garden. I yeah. I don't think I have. So I I I will hand that off to you. Okay, well we're going to go before you go to before you, before you leave me. Uh, for for the frozen wilds of the north, we're gonna go. Um, so one of the things that uh, this show does is it actually like incorporates references or or visits places that actually exist in this town, along with making places up, which I don't fucking understand, which we'll get to later. Um, mm. Episode two talk, but so episode one, the 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 
minute three or four, whatever, they come out of the house and they they mention the Tea Garden, which is a restaurant that I was introduced to by my best friend Nick. Um, and it's this lovely little place where you can order tea and have a little bit pricey breakfast options. I go there every weekend with my siblings or every weekend that I can. And I love it. It's it's a great place. And it's one of those things that I I didn't use. I never went there when I was like pre-2017. So I didn't catch that reference again. But watching the show now, having been around Santa Clarita more because of working at The Signal and just having lived here, it's like I lived here as an adult where I could go around on my own. That's one of those references that I caught and I understood. It's like, oh, they're playing this for they're playing the inside joke for the Santa Clarita folks because that line wouldn't make sense to anyone who didn't know what the tea garden was. Mm-hmm. It's very throwaway, but if you're in the know, you're in the know. So it's very, like, as you mentioned earlier, it's very emblematic of the entire approach of this show. It really escalates further when they walk outside. You get that wonderful shot of their end of the cul-de-sac, which on one of the houses you can actually see, and you know where I'm going with this, you can actually see an address number. I tried looking up this address number on Google Maps, thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe this will help me narrow down uh, where they filmed this part of the street in SCV. The entire screen on my phone was full of potential addresses with this number in the Santa Clarita Valley. And obviously, I know there's probably websites with articles that talk about, oh, they filmed it here and they filmed it there and they filmed it here and they filmed it there. Blah, blah, blah. Fair enough. Fine. But then we get introduced to the neighbors. On one side of the Hammonds, you have an L.A. County Sheriff's Department deputy. Definitely not the deputy who was in my neighborhood uh, back in uh, August. He's stereotypical, gruff. Polo shirt wearing. Ryan, I found the address. Oh my goodness! Okay, two seven five two eight North Weeping Willow Drive, Valencia, California, nine one three five. Either five or nine one three five four. I'm not sure. I'm not going to actually look up the uh, the uh, the zip code. I think we might have just doxed somebody. It's on scvhistory.com. Well, okay then. Santa Clarita so is just doxing its own residents. It's scvhistory.com. So. Oh, God. Um, but anyway, yeah, you, you find out that the Hammonds have two police officer neighbors. One's the L.A. County, one's an L.A. County Sheriff's deputy. Um, the other gentleman is uh, part of the Santa Monica Police Department. And they have this rivalry that I'll just very quickly point out. Um, you know, earlier I was talking to you, talking with you about uh, my sister and some of her work history. While she was in school, I remember her talking about how they would have uh, retired L.A. County Sheriff's deputies come into some of her classes and, and talk about things for, for the class. And one of the things that would be brought up more kind of as a joke was the fact that the L.A. County Sheriff's Department didn't get along with the LAPD and vice versa. And to see that represented in this show and especially, you know, obviously, again, this came out in 2017. They were probably working on this show 2015 slash 16. So nothing with regards to Sheriff Alex Villanueva, the L.A. County Sheriff's Deputy Gangs, and anything within the realm of that story was known at the time 
that the show was being made. Again, being a Weibo wasn't even sheriff yet. So you already get sort of this stereotype that seen nowadays is going to be a little bit more like, oh, it's well, it's one of the sheriff's deputies, so you know what that means. Um, but back then, it's just, oh, well, it's funny because there's a lot of cops in Santa Clarita. Yeah, that's literally the joke there. I mean, even it's, the... It's a, it's a joke that they continue to play up, I believe, throughout the entire season. Right, and and they even keep playing it for the purposes of this episode in episode two to the point where the police officer just jumping ahead a little bit, um, the sheriff's deputy is in the Hammond's backyard without their permission. Um, that's called trespassing. Yeah, bitch. And he's not, and he's not wearing a a uniform. He's not on duty. He's just, I'm going to walk over there because I'm inquisitive because sheriff's deputy, which crashes cruiser while he was not on duty. Right. Exactly. I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself five years later, you know, this ep- this show, it's like what I was telling you earlier about Machete, how that sh- that movie was a little too ahead of its time when it came to uh, politics and immigration. This show is a little ahead of its time in the same kind of awkward ways that I find really disturbing. Sheila and Joel are kind of joking around with these neighbors and then you find out that the sheriff's deputy is the stepdad to his wife's child, uh, who, I'm, who from now on I'm going to call uh, Replacement Nikki, because... Uh, I believe his actual only... name is Eric, but we can call him Replacement Nikki. Uh, the only reason I, I call him Replacement Nikki... You call him Eric. That is the character's name. I'm, I only call him Replacement Nikki because he <laughs> replaced... The actor who played Nick in the Ben Stiller's son in the Night at the Museum movies for the third film. Ew. The first time I ever saw this kid was Night at the Museum three, and I just remember thinking, who who who's this who is this guy? Like it, it was one of the weirdest things ever because he looked nothing like this the, the kid from the first two, and he had this goofy look on his face. And you know, this isn't to poo-poo the actor. I, I oh, don't no, this mind is the to actor. poo-poo the actor. He's bad. He's kind of bad. <laughs> well, he looks it's, both too old and too young. He doesn't. He's not compelling. Liv Houston is the only consistent actor in the show who's like actually acting. Yeah, I I will agree with you on that. And on that point, th- this is where it segues into what I was just talking about with the uh, Hammonds interacting with their neighbors, where it's the same quirky like, oh, why do we have to live in between two cops? Why couldn't we live into two? What, what does Joel say? Like two, two bakers? rival pastry chefs. Yeah. And so this this dovetails into what I've wanted to talk about ever since I saw the first episode. And I, I know um, I think we've talked about it. I know I was talking with somebody else about it. Timothy Oliphant in this show. Uh, oh, yeah. In, in, in the words in the word about this in the words of Vito Corleone. My boy, look how they massacred my boy. Hand it to you. We know that Timothy Oliphant can act. He has been in several other projects where he can act circles around a lot of other people. Like if you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he's fantastic in that. Uh, he's a brief cameo in Rango, where he's just this this badass cowboy spirit of the West guy. He Timothy his Oliphant. claim to fame is Deadwood, and he's chilling and human in that show. Yeah. Also in Justified was, I think, another 
one mm-hmm. of his hits. Oh yeah. Um, so we we know that Timothy Oliphant can act. I'm gonna. I don't know if we'll have time today, but we'll. I'll at one point I will read you my Daily Bruin review, which is still accurate to this day. It's still how I feel after rereading it. But it's like watching Timothy Oliphant in this show is extraordinarily painful because he is terrible in this. His he's got the same pained like pseudo smile like. I don't know what kind of expression I need to have mm-hmm. on his face the entire time. He's way too cheery in moments where he shouldn't be. Um, when we find out that, um, well, and we'll get to this later a little bit, but I'm going to mention it now. When we find, when he finds out that Sheila is dead, he's smiling. Yes. He's not yes. crying. He, he's he's like, oh no. And he, he's, he's at a point where you'd be terrified, freaking out, like horrified that your wife is dead. He's got a, this plastic smile plastered all over his face it's his and face the, from the poster yeah oh yeah, yeah. If, you, if you look at anything if, if you see one smile of his that's the entire expression he has the entire show it never lets up it it's inauthentic and it's just like did did no one tell him that you're not supposed to be happy in this scene did like the director really failed on it i think every every creative person in this enterprise is a failure in my mind, yes. I failed in I, everything. It, it's really hard to even talk about Drew Barrymore's performance in the show. For oh, me God, personally, because I, E.T. aside, and her cameo in Wayne's World 2, of all things. She was good in Charlie's Angels. I'll give her that. She's, yeah, I, it's difficult for me. I just, I've never been a fan of hers, so... When I heard she was attached to the show, I was very confused, very mm-hmm. confused. And that was only because Charlie's Angels, that, you know, and for all intents and purposes, that show, that, that show, well, that show too. But the movies that she was in were big when they came out. And this was at a time when, you know, trying to revive. She went know, on to star in Beverly Hills Chihuahua. Oh, my God. Oh, well, (laughs) my sister rented that from Blockbuster when it came out. You tie in her family and the history that her family has within Hollywood and you're, you're just scratching your head thinking. So where does Santa Clarita fit into this equation? And obviously, as you said earlier, she's filmed a lot of movies that have been shot in Santa Clarita. She's fine. Like for the role she's playing, she's fine. It's it's she's not better she's... than Oliphant. Yeah, I mean, I I believe her in her role because she's playing her role to such an extent to to a T that it's enough for me to believe her as a realtor, a realtor mom who is becoming a zombie. And I think we should finally we get to sort of the inciting incident that after seeing it twice because I. I I kind of had to get, make myself recover listeners. Um, believe me, episode two, that was the abyss. So yeah, they're, 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 they're realtors. You can tell that Oliphant isn't happy completely with the job because he's smoking weed in his car. At some point while they're in the realtor office, they bump into a new guy. They bump into a new guy played by Nathan Fillion named Gary. Fucking Once again, Gary. My boy, 
Look how they massacred my boy. <laughs> he went from Mal to Gary. Oh. Uh, I, just... I think it was you who said that at this like point, like he has the reputation of he'll take whatever role you give him. I, I I'm afraid so. Yeah, because I I and I won't make this a long story. I'll just very 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 briefly say it. His show, The Rookie. I, I to me, it's baffling how you go from Firefly to he had another show and it was a detective show and now I'm blanking uh, Castle. I think it was what it was called. And I only know about it because my parents watched it. Um, and it, it honestly didn't mm-hmm. look that bad. And then all the other nerd stuff that he's done, that's been pretty cool. I mean, I know he's done stuff with like DC animation and whatnot, but then he does The Rookie, where it's basically about an old guy who becomes a cop. And I, I'm just like, okay, but how is this part of your shtick? And then outside of that, like he's done cameos for The Big Bang Theory where he's pretending to not be Nathan Fillion when he really is Nathan Fillion, but he doesn't want the guys in the Big Bang Theory to know he's Nathan Fillion. And then I see him in this. And that was the moment where I realized, you'll. there's a lot of things you'll do, my guy. Mm-hmm. And maybe he was tired of being in Los Angeles and filming stuff that is so masturbatory about L.A. that he was like, you know what, I gotta get out of L.A., and film something still... masturbatory about Santa Clarita. Exactly. And you know what? In another day and time, another day and age, I would have loved to have seen him in a Star Wars movie. You know what? After seeing Timothy Oliphant in a Star Wars show. Yeah. See, I, I liked him in, in Star Wars. I thought he was fine. Yeah, he was but fine. But also like. But also like. Yeah. yeah. Like the concept of his character and He's just another cowboy. There's parts of it that I'm like, okay, you're just like typecasting him as the cowboy. But you throw in Boba Fett armor and you're like, okay, I this I like what you're doing here. Anyway, so then finally Sheila and Joel go to a house to show a couple that's interested in moving to Santa Clarita for reasons unknown uh, and probably never will be. Uh they decided to show this couple a home and then there is the inciting incident that, you know, Netflix, they definitely have a budget for a lot of their shows. Uh, but it didn't come here. It didn't happen here because we see some of the most fake vomit that I think I have ever seen. This is like that birds movie. And I don't mean the Hitchcock movie. I mean the birds like. Birdemic? Yeah, Birdemic. It's, it's, this is bad CG. This is see, And and besides like the, the, how bad the graphics were, it's just like, it's bad comedy. This is emblematic of the entire series as a whole. It's, it's just, it's gross out humor. It's juvenile. And it's it's not well done. Like once you once you get over the shock value of it, it's like, okay, well, now what? And you'll get that you get that more at the very end of episode two, um, with feet. But it's there's nothing funny really about the show. You'll get a couple of moments where they're like, 
they fig- I think they, the writers figured out, oh, we got something here, but then they'll beat it to death because then they'll just repeat that same joke over and over and over again. Um, later on in this show, and we're, we're jumping around a lot, and I don't know if this is how you intended it to go, Ryan, but like jumping around later, mm-hmm. like you pretty much have two jokes like within the within three minutes of each other, maybe where you're you're talking about like Timothy Oliphant eating out Drew Barrymore, and it's yes. like it, it wasn't funny the first time. It was just really awkward, with especially with the really cheesy music. wasn't funny the second time. In fact, it was like significantly worse especially with the cheesy music and very um, static yeah no it's not like, the show is just not well written which surprises me that it got three goddamn seasons of it where well, you, you know have other because that was dur- still during that era of netflix where it was like every show gets three seasons it didn't and deserve then, like, it Stranger Things blew that out of the water. Yeah. House of Cards, they were like, we got to keep going because people are addicted, even though by the end of the show, they were like, eh, we got to end it somehow. You know, <laughs> I it didn't deserve the three seasons it got. The writing is very poor. It's very repetitive. This feels like Baby's first writing project, which it might, might very well might have been. So you have the first throw up sequence uh, and then that's followed by the hospital visit. If you pay attention to Sheila and Joel, there's a lot of side eye in that scene. And I know what that is because that's something I've noticed with a lot of films that come out just nowadays. I I, I can't say it without sounding like I'm old, but it's this idea of, well, I'm going to be comedic and quirky, but I'm going to. I'm going to second guess you with some side eye and then I'm going to say something funny and the audience is going to eat it up. And I, I'm just sitting there watching the two of them with their side eye in the in the waiting room at this hospital. And I'm scratching my head like, am I supposed to be laughing? Because Drew Barrymore said, I feel a lot better now. And she's got like green dried Ugh. sludge on her shirt and her face yeah. and her hair is messy. And, you know, it's on Joel, too. Like it, it you're just scratching your head because you're like, OK, there was nothing about the vomit that was funny. There was nothing funny about them going from room to room and you still hear the vomiting. And then she vomits out an organ, which two episodes in, you still don't know what that organ is. It looks like a small Mm. brain. If I didn't know any better, maybe it's a heart. I don't know. And then before you know it, there's sexy time between the two of them, which not to not to start sounding like a germaphobe or anything, but like. With her health being in question, I don't know if sex. Also, this is right when this is right when she says, I can't feel my heart. I can't feel my heartbeat. And she's eating raw meat. So you don't know if she's about to like. I don't know, have salmonella or or diarrhea like just it's it's a health nightmare. And and it's just a nightmare. It's just a nightmare. Yeah. You know, the daughter is somehow immediately aware of it. Abby, she's immediately aware of the fact that, like, oh, something's different with my parents. I must be in the middle of this, which I'm thinking, are you a teenager that lives out here? Can't you, like, be with your friends? And then I, it dawns on me, oh, wait a minute. No, she's a Santa Clarita teenager. She's her parents' best freaking friend. So she's got to be there every mm. beck and call. And then it, that really gets amplified 
And I know I'm jumping around a little bit, too. Honestly, the jumping around is fine. It's the way I see it. The two episodes, if we're watching these as two episodes, it's like one hour episode each. Because I should point out these episodes are a half hour long. If these episodes were an hour each. Insufferable. This podcast, this miniseries would not exist. I could not do an hour of Santa Clarita Diet as one episode. Two episodes more, no pun intended, digestible. But that's also because just the time goes by quicker in that respect. Um, The whole, oh, you know, an SCV, my kid's my best friend. You know, you see that dialed to 11. I've with never the understood that dynamic. I hate that oh. dynamic. This is not my dynamic with my parents. No, it, it, it isn't the opposite either. I mean, it, 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 I'll put it this way. It feels that way now. But the problem is, is that my sister and I are old curmudgeons. And so in that respect, we turn around to our parents and we're like, yeah, we're like your only friends. Right. So, so whereas <laughs> the difference is from the way I've understood it, because this was something I really paid attention to, uh, sophomore and no junior year of high school. Um, it was junior year of high school. I really noticed it for the first time and really kind of, and don't get me wrong. I I noticed it throughout the years, but it was, that was the year it manifested where, uh, I knew somebody whose parents were very conservative, but so engrossed in their kids' lives to the point where they were texting their kids' friends about what was going on and having conversations with them about, well, what about this crush of hers? And what about that That's crush? inappropriate. And it bothered me that that was even a thing because I knew, I'll, I'll put it this way, I had you know guy friends out here who I was friendly with their parents, and that's just because I'm chatty Kathy with a lot of people I I don't mind I'm a journalist I don't mind talking to people I have to interview people it's fine and if it's my friend's parents same difference I mean I I don't mind at all meeting new people and if they get to the point where they're trying to pry into my personal life unless they're like my girlfriend's my my one day at my whatever if they're my girlfriend's parent that's one thing, you know, I, I had a relationship where I definitely got close to my then girlfriend's mom and I'm actually still friendly with her. I mean, she's, she's an absolutely wonderful lady and I, I miss seeing her dearly. And the reason why I don't see her is because she's on a different continent. But the point I'm getting at with all this and why it's, it's synthesized within this show. And it led to a moment that almost had me screaming to you via text and I think I did Joel's trying to figure the situation out Abby and Sheila decide well we're going to go check out the Land Rover I think they go it's the Land Rover dealership and they speed down Creekside Drive in a Land Rover there's always cars there there's always speed bumps there there's a stop sign there but there's always that one schmuck that is going way too fast and I'm just like Oh, these people would be that one schmuck. Oh, these people would be the one person that just makes me think, oh, y- you don't care. This is Thunderdome to you. You're, Of course, you're going to barrel down the street and potentially hit somebody because, oh, look at me. I'm in my new Tesla. Ooh, you know, and 
it's just and I think this is a new thing that I think I'm going to notice more and more with the show. And I already did with episode two when they go to Brave New World Comics. Oh, where, I have a story about that. Oh, Lord. Um, where and I'm almost done with episode one because I, I think we, we can wrap up episode one. Episode two, I think, is a lot easier and quicker to talk about. Um, if anything, this episode is mostly just setting the stage. Yeah. Episode one, of course, of Santa Clarita Diet is, you know, setting the stage. So it, it all it all makes sense. Um, again, the, the, the quirks between these between all these folks and then also going over. Then going over to the neighbor's house and talking to. Uh, Eric replacement Nikki and treating him like he's an expert on how Sheila may be un- how Sheila may be undead. Their relationship with Eric is a little weird because, like, he's established as the creepy next-door neighbor kid who's, like, got this raging, like, secret boner for... Or not-so-secret boner for the girl next door. And she's just, like, is she friends with him? Is she using him? And then they become friends? It's like, I'd never really... It's, like, for me, the, um, the, the disbelievability in stranger things between um jonathan and nancy's relationship jonathan is a creep he is an absolute creep he was taking photos of nancy and steve when he was stalking her and i will i don't care what like any good that he's potentially done throughout the series he's a fucking creep and he did not deserve nancy at all i hate his character i hate the people who defend him and their relationship because he is a predator and an abusive person for doing that. Um, Steve supremacy all the way. But like with this, it's like it's kind of like a lighter version of that where like she describes him as a creep. Mm-hmm. And she still goes to him for help. And is she is she using him? Is she toying with him? Is she just getting what she wants out of him? Is she, are they friends? Are they just are they friends? And he just has a raging boner for her, and she's okay with it, or or what? It's just also the kid's not the actor's terrible. Abby goes to her parents and just straight up says, "Oh, I know somebody we can talk to." And they're like, "Who?" And she's like, "He's he's a creeper." And then she proceeds to define what she means by he's a creeper. But she explains it in this kind of whip smart. You know, oh, I'm a playboy uh, billionaire philanthropist kind of way to which I'm like, no one who lives out here. Genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. Get the quote right, Ryan. I I do my best. Uh, I. Like she says it in such a way where I'm just scratching my head thinking what normal person at the age of like 16 or 17 is going to be. Well, that's just it. I already have an answer to that to that point, which is, oh, well, that. People would be like that out here. I mean, again, I've talked about it before. Somebody I knew who threw, tried throwing a party out here, you know, not to throw him under the bus, but like he did kind of see himself as the columbus leading this voyage and it resulted in the same way it resulted for columbus where a boat sank you know you know so to see abby pull that card to me just felt 
again, out of place, but also indicative of the show. And then the question I have is, have they indicated how long the Hammonds have lived there? No. For all because we know, they, they could be transplants. They could have been lifelong Santa Claritans. We, we really don't know. If I'm looking at my neighborhood, for example, which has changed so much over the years, it's possible for me to believe that, okay, well, maybe some of these people are, are newer to the neighborhood than others, but any kind of assumptions or, you know, uh, Abby's immediate apprehension towards Eric prior to his mom making that wonderful comment um, about her own son. She's at the top of his spank bank. Oh, God. I just it, it, it's it's moments like that of, of trying to understand, like. The relationship between these two teenagers prior to the start of their quote unquote relationship in the show before they get to whatever relationship they're probably going to have down the line. It just leaves me wondering, Okay, if it's my neighborhood. You know, the kids on my street tried kind of to make an effort to be friends at first, and it would either go somewhere or it would go nowhere. Just that's just the way well, it was. Two options, Ryan. Where? <laughs> well, it goes, what, it goes nowhere. Well, well, what I mean by that is like, I, I, I guess what I mean by that is because of the tight knit nature of Santa Clarita, and because the neighbors out here, again, they want to be friendly, they want to be more than friendly, and they want you to take care of their moms when their moms have carbuncles or whatnot. That mentality could extend down to the kids and in my case and again i maybe i i'm sure i'm not unique in this regard but in my case it, it became one of those things where it was either a fast and furious kind of relationship and when i mean fast and furious i mean like family i was i <laughs> i was good friends with them for a while and then at some point they left or we were good friends for a while and then we had a falling out or we just were never really friends, but we had mutual respect for each other. I had somebody. It just leaves me with so many questions that just make me feel uncomfortable because, again, it puts me thinking about these two kids puts me back into that mindset of being a high schooler out here. Yeah. Which is not great because the high schoolers out. This is the other thing that I, I just want to quickly say about growing up out here and, and you know, Tell me whether or not it was similar for you where when we were kids, kids wanted to grow up fast. Like they already wanted to be adults before they even hit the age of 10. By the time everybody was approaching 18, it was like, OK, well, clearly, you know, I, I other than being a lawyer or a lab engineer, I don't have a future. So, you know. I'm I'm, I'm going to, you know, get into all the kinds of stuff that, you know, frankly, you and I like. So, except you and I have branched out and have actually done things outside of SCV, whereas mm -hmm. these kids still stay put. Um, yeah. And and it reaches a point where, in my case, I actually, not physically, but in print, had to turn around and basically tell kids to grow up, <laughs> uh, which I wrote as an op. I, I co-wrote as an op-ed with my co-editor um, for my high school newspaper, and it was basically like, look. We're going out into the world. We're going to college. We need to put toys and all this stuff aside and realize 
we are adults now. And, you know, obviously this is before I had any kind of grasp on politics, socioeconomic conditions, the plight of millennials. And, you know, I probably came off sound, sounding a little bit like Jordan Peterson, which I hope I didn't. Um, See all these young men and women with all their Pokemon goes and it makes me want to cry inside. Um, Careful, Olivia Wilde's going to make a movie character based on you. Oh, no. I'll just say, hey, I like your godfather. Uh, At least he'll be played by Chris Pine, so you'll be okay. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, was that ever like that for you where, like, the teenagers wanted to be kids and the, the kids wanted to be horny adults? I wasn't allowed to hang out with people. Like, I was – I'm not joking. Like, I was allowed to hang out with people at school. And yeah. then after that, my life was – pretty much dictated you will be doing this extracurricular from this time to this time there's no time to be hanging out there's no point in hanging out i'm being mm-hmm. quiet because i don't want my mother who's in the next room to hear me talking about her way of raising me um mm-hmm. but i wasn't allowed to be hanging out um so i i don't really from what i remember i don't know i always felt this personally i felt this restlessness like i needed to get out of santa clarita like even when I didn't know why I felt like there's so much out there and there's nothing here. I want to do my own thing. And I think a lot of people that I was with like did that too. Cause most of us didn't stay here for college. We went to other places. We didn't go to COC. We did. We, we, most of us, like a lot of us went out of state, went to different cities, went to LA proper and things like that. So I think we recognized that there wasn't a lot that Santa Clarita had to offer us. I think we realized that we'd outgrown it. And yes. the only time we would really want to come back if we had the option to, which a lot of us were forced to just based on circumstances like myself and a few of my other friends. It's like the only time when we come back is when we're ready to like raise a kid and we don't want them to be growing up somewhere where the, the natural soundtrack is sirens and helicopters. Um, yeah. But on, on that topic, I, I have two questions that I want to bring up. I think that are the end that like I can be done with talking about episode one is one like the more prominent segue is that there's towards the end where Sheila is in her um she she's in her impulsive phase and she just wants to do whatever she's out with her gal pals and they're at a really hopping bar Mm -hmm. that does that exist here Ryan in Santa Clarita the the hopping nightlife depends on if it's still open uh and also it depends on how you present such a nightlife because when i look at that bar that they go to it immediately reminds me of at least two places within uh the westfield valencia mall area that one i know doesn't exist anymore that used to have a mechanical bull you could ride saddle ranch the other place i don't remember the name of it that was arguably a little bit more is it black and blue it might have been black and blue i'm not it, yeah, it was like then, it's down the street though it's down yeah, the street it's black from and blue south. they're always getting shut down though because people are people don't here out here don't know how to party they get oh. too drunk they start fights and then they get shut down anyway so by nine o'clock at night it's already shut down but this this kind of bar wherever they're at has again it has that kind of western style yeah, adjacent like 
it's kind of like a cowboyish bar kind of yeah. thing. But you also don't get enough of an idea of everybody else there. You just see a bunch of middle-aged moms all having drinks together and pretending they're not going to cheat on the their husbands. The wood paneling on the walls. Yeah. So, but to answer your question, I mean, no, we, we really, we have no nightlife. And what we do have that constitutes a nightlife is nothing remotely like what you would expect if you went into Hollywood or West Hollywood or, you know, hell, I'll even throw the San Fernando Valley into the mix because, mm-hmm. boy, oh, boy, I went to some fun. I went to more than my fair share of fun parties in the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. Um, I went to one in Beverly Hills that was fine. It was a New Year's party, and I was like the most, you know, everyone else felt just too bougie compared with me. Yeah. So it was it was one of those things where everyone had their nice fancy drinks, and I just had my scotch neat. So it was, yeah, it, it was. But and you had you said you had another question. Yeah, well, I mean, this is this is leading to my point in bringing this up is. Mm-hmm. You have this show that purports to be portraying Santa Clarita life, albeit with the the zombie aspect of it, which I will say I think that their idea of how to approach the zombie is novel, is unique, and had potential, just squandered potential. Um, yeah. But the point of this show apparently was to portray Santa Clarita and – you have some aspects where you have the inside jokes that Santa Clarita residents will understand, like the tea garden for me, or the there's too many cops out here. Um, and you have them showing places like the Saugus drug and gift drug and gift store or, or pharmacy. Or, I can't remember what it's called, but the Saugus drug store, the Saugus drug and Hallmark. That's what it's called. Mm-hmm. That's like right down the street for me. And they actually, from what I can tell filmed inside of it. And you can see the, Best of Santa Clarita, granted by the signal, plaques hanging on the wall. Um, You've got that. And then you have this random made-up bullshit, like this non-existent nightlife. The Santa Clarita High School, which doesn't exist, which is an indoor high school, which we don't have. Because it's always sunny here, so why would we need an indoor high school? Mm -hmm. Um, You have that dichotomy, where it's like, if your point was to make it make Santa Clarita into this place where or they make this show where Santa Clarita is at least semi-authentic. Why are you making up so much stuff that is unrecognizable to anyone who's actually lived out here? Like it's, it's bothersome to anyone watching the show who doesn't live out here. It's just, Oh, you know, it's, it's window dressing. It's, it's adding into this atmosphere of, of suburbia just outside of Los Angeles. I think even for the people that are from here watching it, and I'm not saying you or me watching it because you and I are going to skewer the hell out of it for yeah, showing people stuff who that, loved this shit. People that want to preserve how Santa Clarita really is in a certain time and place in history. Like obviously how Santa Clarita is right now is a stark contrast to how it was back in 2010. And so it's easy for somebody like me to remember what it was like then versus now. And any misrepresentation of one point in time versus another, I'm going to be the first person to call BS and say, no, Santa Clarita was moving in this kind of direction on a 
you know, socio political level, but that didn't mean it was, you know, uplifting everybody's standard of living. Um, and obviously too, you got to remember so much of what you and I remember growing up out here that is clearly, uh, represented within this show there is so much of that that i know for a fact my sister never lived through growing up out here and i mean she was going to high school out here while the trump campaign uh was a thing back in 2016 and despite the fact that for years like wearing hats was you were considered part of a gang if you wore a hat that didn't represent the high school's colors or uh, logo. You weren't allowed to yeah. wear a hat inside the classroom. Um, you weren't at my high school. You weren't aware to wear a hat. You weren't allowed to wear a hat on campus anywhere unless it oh. was a, a school hat. Yeah. Um, if you're outside wearing a hat, it better say WR and be blue and gold. <laughs> Otherwise, I wore a Lakers you're, hat sometimes. <laughs> you were a gang member. We don't care if your hat says WB. What does that stand for? The, you know, uh, a warn a brother. Oh, what does that mean? Is that is that is that some gang slogan? Kiddo, we're taking your hat. Meanwhile, here we are in 2016, where you got a bunch of kids wearing MAGA hats, and the school doesn't bat an eye. It's a totally different environment now, being a young person in Santa Clarita and dealing with all the cultural pressures that are ripping our society apart, uh, tearing it apart. You could say, Lisa, um, but. It's thank you, Tommy slash Johnny. You know, if you're going to represent Santa Clarita, represent it right. So if you're going to make a Santa Clarita high school that's indoors, scrap it, scrap it and go to, you know, uh, Golden Valley and just film it there. Hell, Chum Scrubber, they filmed at Rio Norte like. Hey, that's where I went. Yeah, be in your zone. Get in the zone, auto zone, like do your, you know, if if you're, if you want to be authentic, be authentic. And I understand there's limitations and and certain things that you can't do, uh, especially in a community that's humming like ours is, but for goodness sake, again, make an effort. Honestly, Um, like, I think this town would have bent over backwards to get more like probably look I, again, I don't really know what happened with the negotiations and the political stuff with with the the different offices and, and location scouting, but like mm-hmm. I feel like the city would have bent itself backwards to try to represent more of itself authentically, because it it I think San Crudo wanted this to be like it's Breaking Bad, where you see Albuquerque now, and it had this whole tourism around Breaking Bad. People would go to the house and throw pizzas on top of it, which that pissed the family off who mm-hmm. lived there. But there were there were Breaking Bad tours like. It was an industry like Breaking Bad brought so much money into Albuquerque, Albuquerque, excuse me. Um, And I feel like had you had you asked Santa Clarita, they would have fucking loved you. They would have loved that Netflix money. So, I mean, I I know some of the folks in the uh, in the in the city office who probably would have been like, oh, yeah, sure. We would have loved that. But um, and my second yeah. question to you, Ryan, would it be I don't know if this is first or second episode, but there's a moment where they say um, something, something like like that time your dad lit himself on fire and was in the newspaper or whatever. And it's just. I was just thinking it like. Depending like if this was a couple years later, 
that would have been probably one of us having to go talk to him about lighting himself on fucking fire. I'm I'm looking that up because now I'm like uh, light on fire. It was a throwaway line just to kind of imply how incompetent Joel is. It it, it could have yeah, it could have been the second episode for all I know, but um yeah, oh that would have been if the signal had gotten involved in any way, shape, or form, oh, no, that if, just if it was in the the police scanner at all, oh like, geez, it would have been us. And like the fact that they said that the newspaper covered it, like it would have been us. We would have been out yeah. there talking to talking to this asshole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh. So I'm I'm gonna, I'm just gonna very quickly wrap up episode one, and we can go through episode two. I'm fine with this one being a bit of a longer episode just because. Yeah, I can read the review that, next episode anyway. I mean, either that or we or we save it for the end. OK, yeah, we can save it for the end. The very I mean, last. Because I, I, I wrote it after I watched all the episodes, so I can read it at the end and see if I and we can we can talk about it then. Why no? Perfect. Um, so, yeah, uh, to wrap up episode one, uh, Gary. <sighs> Poor bastard. Uh, uh, really not a poor bastard because he after I'll make this quick too. after watching it a second time, I went from feeling so bad for Nathan Fillion and even his character to I rewatched the second episode and realized just how horrible Gary is so much so that I'm like, Gary, you just started working here. You don't know who this lady and her husband are that are your co-workers and you're basically being a pig there's a part of me that really didn't mind the second go around watching drew barrymore basically eat nathan fillion and then it all it all ends with uh you know she bites his fingers and then she starts digging into his big dad bod and then before you know it after joel has had like a mental breakdown because uh first he thought he was losing his wife then he finally did to the toaster what he wanted to do to gary uh he got high one more time and then he goes out to see his wife uh eating the remains of nathan fillion and then that's basically the end of the show just blood everywhere you know it's it's the perfect kind of oh you know you're in for a, a zombie treat when you've got intestines and just black red blood covering the main character's face and we get into episode two and the quirkiness just goes off the rails I will say the, about the the affair kind of thing that they tried to have. That's also mm-hmm. like very. That's kind of authentic Santa Clarita. My brother was walking. Definitely. I think I don't know if he was. I think he was just walking. I don't think he was walking our dog. I think he was just walking at one point or riding his bike in our old neighborhood. And as he's walking past some bushes, he sees like this man and a woman kissing, and he kind of just stops and looks at them. And then they realize he's looking at them, and then they break away and like walk separate ways the guy pretends he's talking on his phone the woman starts pushing the baby carriage back to her house um so i will say that is that is right there is authentic santa clarita adultery is the name of the game over the years it's that i've white grown suburbia up. what else what other kind of excitement you're gonna have out here <laughs> evacuate when there's a fire oh well that's that was exciting oh well no you're right i mean this is an area where you do have a lot of couples who I will say they tend to be on the older side, minus a few people here and there. Uh, congressional officials aside who 
get into extramarital affairs and you're just thinking, well, wait a minute, if this place is quote unquote awesome town, it's it's part of the living out here in awesome town is that not everything is so awesome when it comes to what's going on between the sheets. And there's a lot of people out here that especially if you're a young couple or if you're a married couple living out here, it's kind of like the sky is not the limit. You know, if you're a young person out here, and, and this is something that I don't I don't want to take this away from the review, but I I made it I made it clear to you that like, oh Matt, you basically said what I said many, 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 many moons ago, which is if you're a young person out here, all you have is the mall and six flags. Well, what happens when you're out of college? You're basically our age, you're in your late twenties, and then you're married, and then you have a kid. Well, what's after that? Game you know, over, like, man. Game it's, over. <laughs> it's there is nowhere else to go. And I know the people I went to high school with, people that, you know, to this day, I'm I'm still like, you know, I hope you're I hope you're well. I really do. You're married now. Are you sure? You, you married somebody that looks like they're your twin and you still live in SCV. Are you sure? Like it, it's it's that it's that idea that it's the hotel California mantra of you can check out anytime you'd like, but you can never leave. And I, I know you and I don't subscribe to that circumstances beyond our control will certainly fight us to keep it that way. But <laughs> the, matri- <laughs> the, the matrix be damned. And with a show like this, I mean, again, maybe that's the indication with Joel and Sheila is that they've lived out here for so long that, it's like, oh, well, what's left other than being realtors and getting high and living in suburbia? Well, clearly getting sick and eating Nathan Fillion. Oh, gee, there's a step. I will say, too, and this was something I actually thought was kind of clever to a slight degree, was starting episode two off with uh, Sheila and Joel trying to hide the remains of Gary. Because... Crime and murder in Santa Clarita is so bizarre. And you and I know this well, given our breaking news history with needing to cover anything from homicides to wildfires to prison breaks. And I could easily imagine a bored realtor couple just having a, a, a unlidded Tupper, giant Tupperware box with bunch of human remains in it trying to dump it somewhere probably out by six flags or probably out between uh six flags and castaic no just go to san francisco all the coyotes will eat it there you go i found a dead coyote in san francisco once it was freaky so yeah uh and i'm trying to remember too even just the rest of episode two after the whole body situation i know that abby and eric show up uh she boops him on the nose boops him on the nose and then um, we see Santa Clarita High School, which is a, a building I do not a facade I do not recognize in the B-roll establishing shot. I it, it's clearly some person who's not been to school in several years doing the set dressing because there's all these posters of like Washington and Lincoln and Shakespeare and the halls, um, and we don't have. Again, we don't have indoor schools. And then this, the, Abby's ditching. Eric decides he's going to ditch with her. And instead of taking his little robot, which he's ostensibly worked for six weeks, with him, 
he leaves it in just some random corner, which is like, no, if you've worked on this thing for six weeks and it's a robot you're doing for, for some project, you're not leaving it there. That's stupid. That's not what any person would ever do. Um, they go to Brave New World Comics, which isn't Brave New World Comics in the show, but it's uh, the comic book store that I go to. And here's my story about Brave New World Comics. Mm-hmm. So um, this was shortly after the current owner, Andy, took it over. And the, show, the store looked very different before Brave New World came in. I remember there was a notice that this store was going to be closed for filming. And I'm like, oh, okay, they're filming something here. Cool. And then I come back and the entire store is different. If you look at it, there's this wall that's wallpapered with like um, the covers of, of early 1900s pulp novels. That wasn't there. Um, mm-hmm. the, the light that said comics, I don't believe was there. The walls were not painted. It looked very different. It was not like this when they started. Apparently Netflix just paid to redo the store to make it look even geekier than it already was. Um, but yeah, no, they, they completely redid the store. And when you're watching the show, um, you, you see like some actual comic books. Like there's a Hellboy comic. There's an Ape Sapien comic. There's the mm-hmm. Plants vs. and Zombies comic. And those are actual real titles. The first comic that Abby picks up, I can't remember what it's called. That's not a real comic book. But the comic book that Eric picks up, and you see a copy of it in the background at some points, it's called Harrow County. That is probably one of my top three, if not my top favorite comic book series ever. And he, I, I looked it up. He's holding issue number 12 based on the, the cover. Um, and I, I never realized that before, but after this rewatch, it's like, holy shit, it's, he's, he's holding a copy of Harrow County. I don't remember if they had very many copies of it in the store because as it stands, I am the only customer of Brave New World Comics who currently reads Harrow County. And I remember at the time, I was the only customer who read Harrow County. So I don't know if I own that specific issue of Harrow County that he touched for the show or if I own the one that was in the background or just a different issue. But there's a chance I own that specific and I don't know if they kept it for props or whatever, but there's a chance mm-hmm. that I own that specific issue, number 12 of Harrow County from Santa Clarita Diet. And like the store is, has changed the layout a little bit now. Like the uh, the registers on the opposite wall, there's a lot more like clutter yeah. over the years. Yeah, like I, I rem- that's like the one thing that I think I really do enjoy about the show is like seeing that comic book store because it's like, hey, I go there and it's. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the one thing I can like all I can be like I can enjoy seeing. It's like, hey, that's my comic book store. I remember <laughs> when it looked differently. I've walked inside there. No, ex- that, that, and exactly. the guy who's sitting behind the desk is not the real owner. He's Andy's yeah. a lot skinnier and he's a lot nicer. And he he's not. He does like the thirty second thing is not because like he's like you have only thirty seconds to buy a book and to read a book or you have to buy it or whatever. <laughs> You can only read it for 30 seconds. But like, I remember one time I walked in there and this other guy came in and I was like kind of cashing out, talking to Andy. And he's like, hold on a second. I got to talk to this guy because apparently there's a guy who'd been coming in for the past like two weeks and he'd go in, he'd read a bunch of books and he'd leave and he wouldn't buy anything. So although like it doesn't happen like it does in the show, apparently that's a real issue where like Andy had to say, hey, 
if you're not going to buy anything, I can't have you come in here. Just read my books for free. You're going to have to leave. And the guy left. Like he was it's like, oh, OK. And again, that, that goes to my point about if you're going to represent authentic of Santa Clarita as you can in this show. Show the places in Santa Clarita and having Brave New World in there. Like I got a kick out of that. Like that was something I actually enjoyed having been to Brave New World, having walked through there and interviewed people and, you know, needed to take pictures for a signal article money there. (laughs) Yeah. I spent too much Um, time and money in that store very quickly too. And and I, I touched upon it earlier about, um, the sheriff's deputy neighbor in Hammond's backyard because he sees that the fact that the ham, Oh, you okay over there? Yeah. I just, I knocked a cord over. Okay. Um, you know, he sees the Hammonds out in the backyard spraying something on the grass and like early in the morning, like really early in the morning. 2.45, according to neighbor man. OK, he's wondering what the hell are they doing? And of course, they're kind of like Joel's out there just standing there. Sheila kind of walks up behind him and sort of embraces him while he's spritzing the lawn. And obviously, the reason why he's doing this is that he's. I guess he's trying to like clean the lawn after all the all of Nathan Fillion's blood has been on it and and basically just trying to get all the just try and get it all out of the grass so that nobody suspects anything. Well, surprise, surprise, somebody suspects something. And and then he's in the backyard. Sheila tells him off and Joel's all just chuckling about it like a big idiot. Again, this goes back to the whole, like, Timothy Oliphant's just going to smile the whole time. Okay. But then it also touches in, it taps into that other little Santa Clarita tick that even just sitting here thinking about it, it's making me feel nervous because... Nosy neighbors who can't mind their own business? That, 1,000%. And also... Having the people out here that are so defensive over their backyards that even though they're so pro-law enforcement, they're ready to tell off the person with the gun to piss off. You know, I know you and I have had conversations about this in terms of uh, people who believe they have entitlement when it comes to law enforcement, i.e. people who are pro-law enforcement who think they can get away with crimes, i.e., you know, name it, January 6th, uh, people in a German airport basically telling security with assault rifles, hey, we're American, you work for us. And it's like, no, we don't, we're German. Like, so it's it's that kind of thing. And obviously, like, we don't know the politics of this family. Um, I don't get any Blue Lives Matter vibes from Sheila Hammond. But there still is this like, whoa, that's how you're going to talk to your cop neighbor? Isn't this how like every nightmarish disgruntled neighbor story ends with like a shootout? Oh, my God. I've, my, my mom watches way too much Fear Thy Neighbor. <sighs> this is this is one of those stories to a T, or at least it could be. But anyway, I, and then again, like the fact that. Joel's just kind of chuckling the whole time, like, oh, man, oh, gee whiz, oh, you can't talk like that. <laughs> we get it. You live in suburbia. You're trying to keep the peace. But for God's sake, like, 
if, 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 your, if your wife wants to eat human flesh, maybe just start with this guy. He's already snooping. You know, on top of that, you've got uh, Sheila realizing that she can't eat meat anymore because she's already tasted human flesh. So she wants to eat human flesh. Therefore, well, even before she decides to eat human flesh, Joel goes to what was it like? Oh, yeah. College or speaking of uh, speaking of unfortunate celebrity cameos, he goes to the college and speaks to. Dr. Hamby or something, whatever, Dr. H, and it's, um, you want to, you want to tell us who that is, Ryan? It's Patton Oswalt. Remy himself in the fur or flesh, whatever you prefer. (sighs) I don't understand how this show got the talent that it got. I'm guessing that everybody owed somebody a favor. Well, and Patton Oswalt. That's the only excuse. He he he'll do a lot of different stuff too. I mean, he's but he's, but he's good. But he's funny and he's good. Like you see him in Parks and Rec, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So, but he'll he shows pop up, up in a Joel McHale show. He's yeah. great. I think he I think he uh, recommended the Chapo Guide to Revolution. So he he's everywhere. I I get it, but. I, you know, and and what ends up happening is that Joel goes to him to basically get an idea. He calls him, what does he call himself? Joel Wichita? Yeah. You, you can, you, I, I didn't realize it the first time, but like the third time that I watched this, because the first time being the very first time I watched the show, second time was this morning, third time was right before we started this call. There's that little hesitation. It's like, it's, it's clear that he's making up a name. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, I, I I caught it first go, and I was just like, oh, oh, he that that was the that was the first thing that came to mind. Oh no, like La Cienega just... Boulevardis. <sighs> I, I mean, uh, like honestly, he might as well have just said, "My name is Richie Cunningham, and this is my wife, Oprah." Like it just. Uh, anyway, but he's trying to tell Doctor Pat Oswalt, uh, "Hey, I've basically got this friend with this illness." And uh, this friend spit out this organ that I put in olive oil. And then it ends up resulting almost in him getting institutionalized, <laughs> which I think is kind of a stretch because, you know what? In a post-COVID world, health conditions and people saying, hey, uh, I have this weird – I have these weird bumps on me. Is this something I should worry about? No, don't worry about it. And then fast forward like a month later, and it's our new pandemic of monkeypox. Like, here's what's funny. This ultimately leads to the whole suspension of disbelief thing, which I even had written down uh, in regards to one specific point in the episode. I had less notes for episode two overall because, again, I was engrossed in just watching these people. If Santa Clarita had, like, its own Tetris this episode was it. Meaning, we have we have our own monopoly. We do. Hell, we base we have our own Scrabble. Do we? Yeah, it's it's the it's where it says imagine right by the library. Oh God! Just seeing all these pieces just lock into place, where it's so convenient for everybody to make it out just fine, and either not be bawling, 
not be in some kind of stupor of any kind, not be in the throes of a passionate extramarital affair that's clearly out of some sense of revenge or some kind of drug problem or some kind of just quirky, oh, look at me, I'm the Joker dancing in the street. Which actually happened. Like there was a dude who like within the last week, like pulled this car horizontally on. I think it was. Oh, was I it, saw that. It's on Seco right by the fire station. Just literally dancing mm-hmm. in the street. Yeah. Yeah. These are real like, things that happen in Santa goddamn Clarita. These are. Yeah. These are real things that happen. And and obviously, I mean, this is a pre covid show. So like even the nuttier things that we see out here. Will we see it? You know more than I do. You've seen the show, but I I expect nuttier. But at this point, at this point, it's actually at a pretty low level of nutty that it doesn't even it doesn't even reach 2017, 2018 levels, at least not yet. Two big moments where I really had to suspend my disbelief. The incident with the where they're trying to get the body and it results in just getting the foot. And I, I really, I really question how people out here got past a necrophilia joke with a show involving Santa Clarita and how they got past that and kept watching it and kept going, well, that's a fun show because I, I was flabbergasted thinking that this kind of weird nexus happened. And I get it. Like, it's a zombie show, but still, like, you fit a necrophilia joke and you slid it up next to the name of an actual town and has a reputation. I don't know. I don't know what you think about that, but I, I just I that whole sequence just oh, had me yeah, thinking, no. oh, I want this episode to be I want it to be over. And then when it was over, I was like, oh. Oh, oh, oh maybe I'll shut my mouth. But anyway, I'll, I'll let you respond. To yeah, that no, I first. was always I that, that was it's very weird to me that that joke made it through. And it's also very weird to me just again, how many people in this town really liked that show and even even outside of this town people like when it wasn't renewed for a fourth season the amount of people who were saying wait no i love this show how could you not renew it or that's my favorite show it's so good it's i never understood it because the humor in this show is non-existent it's not funny it's poor attempts at humor and it's just as you'll see later in the show ryan as it goes on it's the same jokes recycled over and over again. And like they'll, they'll realize, oh, we got a joke here. Let's do it again and again and again and again. They thought it was funny one time. Oh, wait till they hear it the fifth time. Oh, they're going to laugh. That's, that's what you kind of got here. Um, and for me, it's just like looking at like what after watching these two episodes, it just I, I just had this startling realization that like the fact that this is purported to be Santa Clarita and like if you took the name Santa Clarita off and made a fictional town and it would have not changed the show at all really made me think Santa Clarita is really not special at all. Yeah, we got mm-hmm. six flags, but so many other towns have a, a an amusement park 
out there, but like there's nothing special about Santa Clarita. There's nothing significant about Santa Clarita and there's nothing appealing about Santa Clarita. It's like they're making this town like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a fun place to be in this show. You've got the, mm-hmm. the angry cops living right next to each other. You've got the the very horny, very adulterous realtors out there. You've got the student, the kids ditching school. You're just burying a body out in the random hills and stuff. What what is appealing about this town that you're trying to get out of this show? Like, yeah, why would you ever want to live here? And and I'll, I'll combine my other point with my final point, which is what brought any kind of compelling element. And, and when I mean compelling, it's it's uh, such a grain of salt because I know it's it's just going to keep going downhill from here. Um, and, and typically I'm not like that with any other TV show. But given I'm two episodes in and I'm just bearing through it, like the way I described it, I told Sebastian, like, this is like Batman and Robin level woof for me, at least. But Batman and Robin is good. Oh, no, are you talking? No, you're talking about you're not talking about Batman 66. Never mind. Oh, no, no. I'm talking. I'm talking. Uh, what killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age. Um, oh, you yeah, know, I think that uh, I think that movie, though, I will credit it for awakening my redhead thing. <laughs> Again, the whole point of the episode is, OK, Sheila is is now attracted to eating human meat fine by the end of it she can't eat chicken she can't eat burger she can't eat anything else she can't even eat a cadaver full of formaldehyde so that's when and this is when i caught just i was gonna make a stupid joke never mind i was making a stupid joke i was gonna say what about casual to hide oh my god (laughs) ignore me uh this is when we got an ounce of the Timothy Oliphant that we all know and love where they're in bed and they're like, what do we do? What do we do? Oh, I'm so hungry. Ugh. And he leans over and he goes, we're going to kill people. And I swear I could hear like part of the Deadwood theme when he said that, because that was the moment where I'm thinking, okay, this might be interesting. Although the problem is, is that the fact that this show is set to be a horror comedy, horror, loosely comedy, non-existent i'm, I'm thinking horrified myself, I'm, I'm horrified that you put such an intense moment and line of dialogue into something that is not horrific nor comedic you, you could have gone down one of two roads and this gets into my final point you could have gone down the path of walking dead which is overdone and you know I, I don't think people would have wanted to see walking dead in suburbia or maybe they would have i don't know the alternative to that, which I don't think the show is actually going down this road, maybe it will. It's too early to tell, but I, I honestly I actually hope they don't go down this road, even though it would be a clever concept for satirizing Santa Clarita, is making something that's evocative of the John Carpenter movie They Live, where mm. the zombies are the people who live in suburbia, who live a mundane existence of consumption and anything outside of that is running the risk of getting eaten, you know, or basically cannibalized by your own. Essentially it's, it's 
breaking out of the shell and it's putting on the sunglasses and realizing you're, you know, enslaved by a bunch of aliens. And, you know, you're here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and you're all out of bubble gum. And and they live, which I know Sebastian and I briefly, briefly talked about it, I think way back in season one. I know he's not a fan. I think the movie's great and clever. But I just can't see a show about Santa Clarita going in that direction. Even though a story like that arguably deserves to be told about Santa Clarita. Uh, this this will and this will be my, my last point, and then I'll I'll let you sign off. And I know down the road I'll I'll bring up the Wikipedia thing because oh, oh it needs to come up. But I will say that I'm still very confused what 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 brings zombies and Santa Clarita together. And I don't mean that in a shameless I'm cash not, grabs. I'm, I'm not saying that in, in, in the from the point of view of, of a matchmaker. I'm saying that from the point of view of like, OK, so we have a TV show about Twinkies and Kleenex. And the show's about George Washington. OK, that's how confusing the show is like, OK, Santa Clarita zombies, Santa Clarita diet. Oh, I get it. it People in Santa Clarita are zombies and eat people. Okay, haha. But when I watch the show, that's not what I get. What I get is an inside joke that isn't funny. And plus, and and by the way, Drew Barrymore's a zombie. Like <laughs> I, I'm, I, it's just it's so confusing to me. I'm just like, where there's all these sinews that don't connect. And again, I, I maybe I've just seen too many body, uh, body horror films, but. The way I see it, and also it's just, I think, a habit of just going through COVID. This woman has an illness. Isolate her. We don't know what she's capable of. She could eat the whole family. And and don't be doing any, don't be exchanging fluids with her. Like, for God's sake, isolate her. Do something. Like, it's it's one of those things that sets off so many alarms in my head, both as a as a, as somebody that likes body horror and as somebody that, has lived through the longest black mirror episode ever. It leaves me with more questions that I'm ready to dive into as we keep going. But it also just frustrates me because it's dealing with a subject that I'm like, it's a skin deep subject filmmakers. You don't need to go any further than that. And if you are stay on target and so far they've, uh, as red leader said, just impacted on the surface. So I, I will give you the, I'll give you the, the final words. I'm just the the reason that I finished watching this first season was because I was writing the review for the Daily Bruin. Had I not been forced to complete it, I don't know if I would have finished it. I doubt I would have finished it. I watched this with my best friend Nick because we were roommates in college and he also lives in Santa Cruz. He lives like maybe five minutes from me Mm -hmm. and we were just watching it it's like what the hell is this this isn't santa clarita this is this is nonsense it's and to me it's just a shame that and and again like you said ryan this is back when everything got three seasons on netflix it's a shame that something like this can run for three seasons while other shows that deserve a shot don't Mm. they get their one season and they get canceled which is the Netflix model these days. It's just, it's, it's utter bullshit. <laughs> and I look forward to dissecting this bullshit. Like they should have dissected 
Sheila's shambling corpse the second her heart stops beating. And and think of it this way. Uh, maybe when it's all over, it's just going to be like a one long, bad Scooby-Doo episode. And they, they just pull Sheila's mask off. And it turns out it was Marsha McLean the whole time. I don't know. It, it's... And and it was all just one big way to get Santa Clarita tourism on the map. I I don't know. Picture it this way, Ryan. Have you ever seen any merchandise that says Santa Clarita diet on it? I don't even recall any from when the show was popular out here. Even the city couldn't bring itself to try to capitalize off this bullshit. Mm hmm. Well, listeners, uh, this has been episode one of Diet NIMBY. This is a diet that, uh, like many diets, uh, it comes and goes. So uh, tune in next weekend because, oh boy, we'll be back on the diet and uh, there's going to be some more backyards. Do you think there's going to be more backyards? I think there's going to be more backyards. It's Santa Clarita. There's backyards within the backyards sometimes. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm not joking. People put, like, fucking casitas in their backyards, and then those little casitas have their own backyards. It's, it's, oh, yeah. it's, not, a, it's not a joke. Oh, It's real. I, I, I've seen one backyard have two backyards side by side, and I'm just thinking, no, 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 no. These aren't neighboring backyards in one backyard. This is just one backyard. And the person's like, no, Ryan, you're wrong. And I'm thinking, well, then I don't know anything, which by the end of the show, maybe I won't know anything. Who knows? <laughs> Diet NIMBY is a spinoff of the Mars on Life podcast. This miniseries is co-hosted by Matt Fernandez and Ryan Mancini, produced by Ryan Mancini. This show's intro and outro is Spider Eyes by Kevin McLeod. Tune in next weekend as we continue to review the Netflix series Santa Clarita Diet. <laughs>